0: In those days, there was no frequent vision. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You can be seated.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's a, it's a big day for our church today, isn't it? The 75th anniversary. Our big event this evening. Yeah. Uh, what a what a legacy here at Grace. Uh, this church has been on the corner of Eighth and Central for 75 years. That's really a long time, isn't it? It's a big deal. The Lord uh, and Lord willing, we'll be here another 75 years, or until the Lord returns, whichever comes first. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, But you know what? There's no guarantee that grace will be here for another 75 years, is there? There's not. No guarantee. Or another five years. We don't know what tomorrow holds, do we? Let alone every day after tomorrow. One thing we can be sure of with all our other uncertainties, though, is that the word of the Lord will endure forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. And that's what has been our church's foundation for all these years. Not the materials used to make the North Church in 1944, or the materials used to make this building we're in now in 1979. As important as as brick and mortar are, they won't stand forever. But the word of God will. It can be counted on. It will endure no fire or flood or tornado or earthquake can touch that, friends. It will endure, and all God's good plans will come to pass. Count on that. Don't count on much else, but count on that. Put your hope in God and trust whatever he says. Amen? The word of God, we treasure God's word here at Grace. It comes from God, our Father in heaven, and he's a good father as we sing on Sundays from time to time, and this Father tells us, His children, what He's like and how to live meaningful lives. His Word shapes us and how we see the world. It points us in the direction of life and flourishing, and we need His Word for that. Because if God doesn't speak to us, and if we don't listen when He speaks, we'll just be fumbling about trying to make the best of things. And how does that end for us? It's bad if you were wondering, <laughs> but if God speaks to us, if we hear him like Samuel does, and we say, speak, your servant hears, he will. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed our year uh, of the Bible, the sermon series that we're doing, but it's not the easiest thing to drop into a book like Judges last week when Pastor Bob did that, and then the next week we come into, on Sunday morning, a whole different book like First Samuel. It helps if you're tracking along, though, in the reading schedule that we have on the website, the Year of the Bible. What also helps, too, I think, are uh, summaries along the way, kind of like where we've been so far. So here's a really, really quick where we've been so far in the story. Uh, There was nothing, and then there was something. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a long time. Did you hear the bang? It was a big one. That new something, I, yeah, that new something included people, and those new people, they sinned, and they had kids who, had, who sinned, who had kids who sinned, and so on. So now there's a lot of people in God's creation, and they'd all sinned. Then God chose a special people from among all those sinners. He eventually called them Israel, and they cried out to God whom they sinned against. And he delivered them. Out of Egypt, he called his people They hit the road. They took off into the wilderness. On their journey, they came to a mountain called Sinai where God made a covenant with them. He said, I'll be your God. You be my people, okay? And they said, sure. The covenant people of God eventually entered the promised land where they promised to live a certain way, loving God and neighbor. But as we've seen in recent weeks, all the way back to Genesis 3, as we've seen, people are horrible at fulfilling their promises. Judges last week was the most recent reminder of this and things had not changed by the time of Samuel Uh, But the good news is God wasn't done with his people yet In the books of Samuel we enter the next chapter In God's story and here we get to know Three main characters the prophet Samuel for whom we get these these books their name The first two kings of Israel Saul and David and what we see historically In the books of Samuel, it's a big transition from Israel as a loose federation of tribes to an emerging monarchy under the rule of King David. Israel is facing a national crisis. Internally, their worship is a mess. Externally, uh, the surrounding nations, especially the Philistines, are threatening them. Some of the most dramatic Old Testament stories we have have to do with these three characters and this particular time in Israel's history. Could somebody get me another bottle of water so I can continue in a moment? Thank you. No, I'm fine. I'll wait for Jason. I don't want to get you sick, Joey. Thank you. So some of the most dramatical Testament stories we have, these three characters, their, their life and times, yet beyond their personalities and events, the books of Samuel make it clear that the Lord is at work in turbulent times. And we thank him that he is, because something really needed to change, didn't it? it didn't. First Samuel three, if you're not there, turn in your Bible or get your app out or just listen along. First Samuel three, one, the author gets right to the point. There we read, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now a little bit about where this chapter takes place, chapter three. It's at Israel's temple at Shiloh. It's a city about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Samuel had been living there, serving the Lord with Eli the priest since he was a small boy. When uh, Thanks. Again. Since he was a small boy. When chapter three opens, he's a little older than when his mom Hannah had brought him there But he's still not yet an adult, and you can read about this in the first couple chapters of 1 Samuel. He's probably 12 or 13 years old. In verse 3, we read that Samuel was lying down in the temple near the Ark of the Covenant. He's probably got the priestly duty of keeping the lamp of God burning. According to God's previous instructions, the lamp was to burn every day from evening till morning, and the lamp had not yet gone out, verse 3 tells us, so probably it's just before dawn. I don't think we're to assume that Samuel's lying down in the most holy place, kind of his pillow snuggled up against the ark. He's in the temple structure. That's what it means. He's lying down near the temple or near the ark. This would have included the most holy place with the ark, but then the the outer courts and and the court would have included uh, sleeping quarters for the priests. So it seems that Samuel's in one of those. Apparently, Eli's in in an adjacent one, close enough so that Eli... Who, has, uh, who could barely see. He's, he's aging. Verse 2 says, if Eli needed something during the night, Samuel could quickly be there. That helps explain why uh, Samuel hearing a voice calling him at night just naturally assumed that it was Eli. But we know from our reading that it wasn't Eli, was it? Before we get too far in the story, let me uh, mention there's an outline in your bulletin. In verses 1 to 3, we see dark days 4 to 18, the dawn breaks, and then finally 19 through 21, we have the hope of a new day. In the course of just this one chapter, so much changes. There's an incredible reversal. Israel's spiritual leadership is replaced, and the role of God's word in the nation is restored. And we get to see in concrete reality, uh, Hannah's prophetic prayer from chapter 2 enacted In this scene, as the Lord raises up and brings down as he wills. I've already mentioned the hard times that the word of the Lord had fallen on. Israel does not have a good track record when it comes to God's word. Broken tablets, uh, broken promises, they all abound. Apparently, this is a really low point in their history. Even for them, they're living in dark days. The word of the Lord had grown dim. Listen again to verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And it's interesting, when you read through the first few verses here, there's all this vision vocabulary. Visions are infrequent, verse 1. Eli's eyesight is growing dim. He couldn't see, verse 2. The lamp had not yet gone out, verse 3. Not only is Eli's literal vision Uh, waning his spiritual vision is starting to do the same. His eyesight is indicative of his heart. The word of the Lord, uh, which was to be at the very heart of Eli's ministry, and his priest's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on their watch, it had grown dim, the word of the Lord. And everything in these opening verses point us to that sad truth. If the people of God were going to survive this crisis, they'd need a word from God, the a word which brings light into darkness, a word from the Creator who spoke something out of nothing. The dark days experience during the rule of the judges has not improved. In fact, it was probably worse. The word of the Lord was rare, but that was about to change. And that change comes through a young boy named Samuel. So again, it's dark, a very dim time for the word. The lamp had not yet gone out, we read, but it seems inevitable that it would. That was the situation when the word of the Lord, starting in Shiloh, starts to shine. Again, dawn breaks, and suddenly light comes rushing in where it seemed that darkness had won. Young Samuel, he was being trained as, as a priest, but he was called to be a prophet. And eventually to serve as a judge. But that's not something that just kind of happenstance brought together. And isn't it great? Look out, Pop Samuel. He had several influences in his life that supported him as he came into his calling. First, his mom. A lot of stuff really does start at home. So Samuel's mom, Hannah, is an incredible example of giving all to God. Hannah, like the nation of Israel, was barren. At the beginning of the story, her husband Elkanah was great to her, though, really outstanding. He didn't shame her. He, he loved her. He did for her. But she wanted a baby. She wanted a child. So she cried out to the Lord for a child. And the Lord heard her cry. And she conceived and had a boy and named him Samuel, which means "heard of God. Out of her gratitude... Uh, there's no way she could have possibly known what would become of her son, the importance of his life. But out of her gratitude, she gave her son to the Lord. She offered him up like, like Abraham offered up Isaac to the Lord. And for Samuel, that meant serving at the temple at Shiloh. She dedicated his life in service to be trained and to live with the priest Eli, far from home. This sacrificial act of Hannah was rewarded. The whole nation would prosper through her son. Her example, no doubt, had a huge impact on Samuel. I'm sure Eli told him the story over and over of how he thought his mom was drunk at the temple. Do you remember that in chapter one? She's babbling about who knows what. She wasn't drunk. She was overcome with grief and asking the Lord for a a child, praying for him and the Lord heard. What an encouraging example. In addition to Hannah's example, the Lord used Eli's instruction to shape Samuel and set him up for ministry. And we shouldn't be surprised that the Lord uses incredibly flawed people to move his plan forward, and all God's people said, amen. But this is still nonetheless pretty amazing. Eli was was a mess. He's the priest of Israel at the time, His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are also priests, and there was a major problem with his sons because our passage tells us they didn't know the Lord. You know, we interview people from time to time. I got hired here three years ago, and Justin, a lot of our staff, and maybe it's kind of an assumed thing, but a really important question when you're looking at someone for a ministry position is, do you know the Lord? (laughs) And if they say, eh, I don't know. You can't move forward in the interview process. That's kind of a requirement. They didn't know the Lord. And they treated the Lord's sacrifice with contempt. They were immoral. They're sacrilegious. And Eli knew about it. And he didn't stop them. So the judgment on the house of Eli will be severe. And we'll see that as we keep reading. But as flawed as Eli was, the Lord used him to shape Samuel to speak truth to Samuel, to encourage Samuel to discern the voice of the Lord. He encouraged Samuel to speak what the Lord told him, no matter how difficult it was to say or to whom. A prophet's not one to just receive the word of the Lord, it's one who needs to speak the word of the Lord too. Eli was instrumental in Samuel's understanding and his growth and his calling. We'll come back to the word that Samuel received and spoke to Eli in just a moment, but but first let me mention the third and by far the most important influence on Samuel when it comes to his calling. Hannah's example, Eli's instruction, both incredibly important, but those would have been insufficient if it weren't for the Lord's persistence. In parentheses next to the words in the outline, the Lord's persistence, you'll see a three plus one, and that's because... The author of 1 Samuel is using a storytelling technique, which repeats a common set of events three times and then adds a fourth. So that's the Lord's calling to Samuel one time, verse four, the second time in verse six, the third time in verse eight. That's the three. But then the fourth time, that's the plus one, there's a crucial change introduced. And this change isn't just that Samuel's ready to hear now, which he is because he's been instructed. It also includes a couple other big deals. Verse 10 Uh, Look there, it says, the Lord came and stood as he called out to Samuel. That's new. Before he just called, but now the Lord came and stood as he called out to Samuel. The word was rare and visions were infrequent, verse 1 says. That has changed. Both of those things have changed, it seems, with Samuel. But then this other thing that's new, this other part of the plus one Instead of calling out Samuel's name once, like the three previous attempts, he calls him twice, Samuel, Samuel. So that's new. And it's probably not just to get his attention. He already had his attention by this point. But you know, one benefit of reading the Bible straight through is that you start to see patterns emerging from chapter and book to all the way through. And so we might ask ourselves, are there any other places in the Bible where people are called twice by their name? And the answer is yes. Abraham, Abraham, don't kill your son. Chapter 22. Jacob, Jacob in Genesis 46. Don't be afraid to take your family to Egypt during this famine. And then Moses, Moses in Exodus 3 out of the burning bush. You're going to lead my people out of slavery. Do you know how each of them replied when the Lord called them, Abraham, Jacob, and Moses, here I am, the same word Samuel uses. I think the parallel was Samuel, maybe from now on we should just call him Samuel, Samuel. The point seems to be that these others were really important in God's plan in the story up to this point. God's plan for Israel, for the world, Samuel, Samuel is now caught up into this worldwide story of redemption. He's not just a faithful individual having a, a mystical experience that's going to help him out personally and maybe those around him. No, he's on the playbill now for God's big production, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel. Samuel, he's the one, the first one in about 300 years since Moses, the first prophet who will listen to the Lord and speak to the, on, on the Lord's behalf to the people of God. That's not an easy thing assignment, is it? And there was no easing Samuel into this role. The Lord throws him into the deep end with the very first message that he's to hear and speak to his mentor, his foster father, Eli, the man that blessed his mom resulting in his birth, the man who raised him from a young child, the one who instructed him in how to be a priest, his, his foster father. He, he had to have loved him But a prophet doesn't get to choose the message they deliver. And that's evident. The Lord calls, Samuel responds, speak, your servant hears. And then look at verse 11, this is what he told him, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's code for it's a word of judgment. That's when the ears tingle in the Old Testament, word of judgment. Verse 12, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. Why? For the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he didn't stop them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice and our offering forever. So that's a tough word to hear, an even tougher word to tell. But Eli, even if he failed so miserably with regard to his own sons, he doesn't fail Samuel. He calls him to be obedient. Verse 16 Samuel, what did the Lord say? Samuel was reluctant. We read that in, our, in the passage. What did the Lord say? Don't hide it from me. No matter how difficult, you tell me. Or may God do to you and more if you don't. Tell me. So Samuel tells him. And Eli, to his credit, he doesn't brush him off like young kid doesn't know what he heard. He doesn't do that. He doesn't play victim or make excuses. Lord, I, you know I rebuked my sons. They're just wild and out of control. What am, what am I supposed to do? He doesn't do that. He takes it. Verse 18 says, here's Eli's words, it is the Lord. That's who's speaking. Let him do whatever he sees fit to do to me. That's one of the reversals I mentioned earlier, a change in the spiritual leadership of of Israel. And it's pretty staggering when you consider what just happened in our story chapter 3 opens with Samuel, the boy, learning from Eli, the mature priest. And it ends with Samuel as God's prophet, replacing Eli as the spiritual authority at Shiloh. So the young, innocent one is now the authority, and the old knowing one has now become dependent on Samuel. We might not see it because it's kind of like a children's story in some ways, it seems. You have This temple and this little boy keeps running to his his mentor and being told, oh, you're just having a bad dream or I don't know what's good. Just go back to bed. Go back to bed, Samuel. Three times he tells him, go back to bed. But there's a huge transfer of power in our story. Even though Samuel's the same age as he was before the encounter, he's certainly not the same person now. There's nothing childlike about the message he receives and tells. And don't miss this. There is a message again in the land. God is once again speaking. The word of the Lord is back. It was rare, but now it's returned. That's the other reversal I mentioned, the role of God's word in the nation. Eli forfeited the word, and now it's being given to Samuel. It doesn't just stop. Eli is now dependent upon Samuel to learn what God says instead of the other way around. Earlier, Samuel is uncertain, must be guided. Now Eli looks to Samuel for direction. This reversal, the the leadership in the land and the place of God's word, they tell us something about God. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't acquiesce to evil. Corrupt institutions will not endure. God opposes them. He speaks truth to them. And Samuel, replacing Eli at Shiloh, points that truth out to us. Something needed to change, and it did. It was dark, but now the sun is starting to shine. And as many sad elements as there are in our story, the accent is not on the darkness. It's not on Eli's decline. It's on the new beginning with Samuel. Just as Samuel is said to have opened the doors of the house of the Lord in verse 15, there's a new day. God's word has opened in Israel. After a long drought, after a famine of the word of the Lord, he's speaking again. A prophet is back in the land. The word of the Lord coming to Samuel as it did in the temple, it established him as God's spokesperson, God's prophet. And that's obvious from the description in verses 19 to 21. The Lord was with Samuel. So no no Ichabod here. Glory has departed. The Lord is with Samuel. And then it says, he let none of his words fall to the ground. I, I, I don't think that means that Samuel never said anything flippant or stupid or that he wanted to take back. I think it means when he spoke in the name of the Lord, he could be trusted. And then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, which means from north to south in, in Israel, they all recognized that Samuel was God's prophet. Samuel didn't campaign for this role, he didn't do any fundraising. Samuel was the prophet of Israel because the Lord had established him to be so. The silent God is speaking again. Samuel is speaking on behalf of God to the people of God. And the same word that establishes God's prophets also establishes his people. It gives us a place to to get our footing, our security, our hope is in God's word. What led to Eli's... Uh, fall and Samuel's rise was not how good or bad they were. It was how they regarded the word of the Lord. At the beginning of the story, Samuel's a young intern priest. He doesn't know the Lord or the Lord's ways. He doesn't recognize God's voice when he hears him call him. He's probably pretty naive about Eli's leadership. But by the end of the chapter, he's a bold prophet announcing Yahweh's hard word to Eli and recognize in the whole nation as God's prophet. The word of the Lord is what brought about this transformation. The word of God is what gives us his people hope. When the word is rejected, you get Hophni and Phineas. When the word's received, you get Samuel. But a bit later in the story we're reading through this year, when the word takes on flesh, you get Jesus. And Jesus is the better prophet, he's the best. His coming brought to an end the need for any other prophet to rise up and say, thus says the Lord. So as valuable as Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Amos and John the Baptist were, that ministry's gone because the prophet has come and his credentials are better. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That could be a summary of a lot of the Old Testament. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. We could say Jesus was God's final word. There's a Christian musician I really I love, Michael Card, and he wrote a song called "The Final Word." And here's one of the verses. You and me, we use so many very clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. And then my favorite line from the song, his final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. So long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just show us the way. He is the way. He doesn't just tell us the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just point us in the direction of life. He is Himself life. May we all find our life in Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and if we go away from you, what is our hope? May you enable us this morning, Lord, to hear your word, but to not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word, that we might be like the person who built their house on the rock, and when the, the wind and the, the storm came, it beat against the house, but it didn't fall. Because it was grounded, it had its foundation on the rock. May that be true of Grace Seal Beach. May we continue to be a place that has our foundation on the rock. Open our hearts this morning to receive what, you, what you've spoken to us, God. Save the lost, build up your people, and do all your good work as you speak to us, God. Speak, Lord your servants here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.